Thank you, Ellie and Martha. It is the, the knowing, the finding of Jesus, or rather his finding us, that gives us the knowledge, the understanding, and the joy of knowing who he is. The joy of knowing Jesus is not comparable to any other joy. Of knowing him whom to know aright is life eternal. Thank you so much for encouraging our hearts in that. Would you turn to our text to 1 John, 1 John 3, and we'll pick up our reading in verse 4. 1 John 3. We are continuing in this series, and uh, I have, it finds, I find myself every week being convicted by the words that I read in a new way as I study this. And so we're going to read our text together, we'll pray, ask for God to help us understand, and then we'll dive into what John has for us about the Holy Spirit. Beginning in verse 4, John writes, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, he's speaking of Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. But the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's bow in prayer and ask for his help to understand. Gracious God, you have brought us here together. You have given us your word, which is eternal, which is powerful, in a way beyond our own power of understanding, but we do need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand. So in the understanding, we pray also that by your grace, we would have the strength to doing, the doing of your word. For we know inherent in the command is that strength, the grace that you give for us to be obedient. So may our hearts be changed, may we be convicted, may we be encouraged, may we know that if we are indeed a child of God, we are in Christ, and may we live in such a way that brings glory to Christ and to the Father, Lord, you all the time. May others see that as we live, that we are yours. Thank you for those of us who know you, that we are your children. In Christ I pray. Amen. There is a painful to me, series of commercials going around on TV, uh, and they feature a Captain Obvious, and he re- makes awkwardly obvious statements or euphemisms regarding life in order to advertise his hotel change, chain, and I can't remember that hotel chain right now, which one it is, so it must not be that great of, of an advertising campaign. However, he, we do know him. But the reason that that works, you know, the, the obvious things, the Captain Obvious stuff works, is that in our society, we encounter many things that may seem obvious to some, maybe to us in our enlightenment, and not obvious to others. Um, you've seen some of these things that are pretty obvious. I love this one. 
Do not breathe underwater. Stop it. Don't do that. Uh, and I think the same people, it's the same font, did this one too. If the door does not open, do not enter. Okay? Don't make your own door. We have enough doors already. And then my, my favorite, because there's the newfangled fire that's cold, I guess. I don't know. Uh, this one says, uh, caution, fire is hot. So if you can read, then you'll probably understand that fire is hot. But we, we, we talk about these things. Oh, that's obvious. But nonetheless, in our society, we, we have to let people know. We inform people of those obvious things. And uh, some of us are, it's more obvious to us than others. And it's interesting that in life and in Scripture, there are some things that seem obvious to us and other things that don't seem so obvious. Um, things that we examine and uh, probably try to discern what is right. In verse 10 of our passage this morning, John says there's something that is obvious, very clear, and very plain. And he makes this bold statement. John the Apostle says that it is obvious who a child of God is. Obvious. How is it obvious? Can we tell by looking at them? Not always. Can we see their heart? No, you and I can't see that heart. But why does John say it's obvious who a child of God is? This morning, what I want us to do is to understand that there is something obvious that John is telling us. Walk through the passage and then kind of at the end summarize by a number of lessons, the four lessons that we can learn from this about what is obvious of a child of God. Let's look at the background. The background is the love of the Father, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, he has called us his children. He's made that declaration on us. We are his kids because of Christ. And we have that, that naming of us. And so we have that. And he comes to this next verse, and it says in verse 4, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Let's break it down and understand our words. First, practice. What does John mean by when he says practice? Well, to do or to behave in a certain manner. To do a thing. However, that's, that verb is in a perfect tense. It is to continue to do. There's a forward motion. There's no anticipation of a completion yet on that in the way he uses this, this tense. So that, that state of being is not yet completed. So it's practicing. It's, continue, it's a continuing to do. Next one, sin. Harmatia. Uh, the thing that we think of is missing the mark. And the New Testament has a little different shading of this. It's not like, oops, I missed the mark. But it's, it is a willfulness of missing the mark. Hey, there's the mark. Yeah, I don't want to hit that. I don't want to hit below. Okay, it's sin. We understand pretty much what sin is. Then lawlessness. Because he, said, he says sin is equals lawlessness. Now, lawlessness, this anomia, the state of being or behaving in open defiance, the moral law of God. It's open defiance of the moral law. It's me shaking my fist in the face of God. No, I am lawless. I don't care what you say, God. So John says sin equals open defiance. Now, lawless. Um, let's look at what Jesus said about the word of lawless. His words, I think, are pretty important. So let's go there. Uh, Matthew seven nineteen through 23 If you'd like to turn there, I'll just uh, have on the screen one of the verses. Jesus is speaking. Um, verse 20 says, So then you will know them by their fruits, Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter 
into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't we do wonderful things for you, God? And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. John was listening, wasn't he? As Christ was talking, John was listening in there. So Matthew 23, another passage in Matthew. Uh, 20, um, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Okay, he's, he's railing on them. We like to, we like to rail on the, the, the Pharisees, right? You know, they were just bad people. Or maybe people like us. Um, For you are like whitewashed tombs on which the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You look good on the outside, but inside you're rotten, basically. So you, uh, verse 28, so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and open defiance of God's moral law. Lawlessness. Jesus wasn't, he didn't pull any punches, did he? Matthew 24, 10 through 14 also says that. Um, he speaks of this. Because of lawlessness has increased, the most people's love will grow cold. Um, so we come back to John. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Everyone who continues to practice sin on an ongoing basis, that is the pattern of their life to practice sin, what does he say? Also practices open defiance of God because sin equals defiance. So what do we say? For the one who is in the continual practice of sin, could we even say a practitioner? A pra- practitioner of sin, that one is in open defiance of God. Verse 5, I'll continue. You know that he appeared in order, G- he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sin, and in him is no sin. So John contrasts that, but let's look what Jesus did. You know, okay, you, understand, you have that understanding. In fact, he's speaking to uh, people who are followers of Christ. You have experienced this, the grace of Christ. You've experienced who Jesus is, and that he appeared, he was made manifest, he, he came to earth in order to what? It's a purpose statement here. Jesus came to take away sin. Jesus came to take away sin. In him is no sin. It points to the mission statement of Christ, part of the mission statement of Christ. The mission of Christ was to take away sin from the world, from us who are in the world and our sin. That is why he came. The understanding is to redeem mankind, to buy them back, to ransom them, and to take away their sin, to cleanse their sin. This is what he did. And notice in verse 5, it says, In him, in Jesus, there is no sin. Not one taint. Nothing. Nothing to taint Christ of sin was not in his being. Inherently in Christ, there is no sin. Now, what do we understand about sin here? So in verses 4 and 5, The practice of sin does not fit in with Christ's mission. He had no sin. He came to take away the sin, and so continuing to practice sin means that you are lawless, that I am lawless if I continue, if I'm a practitioner of sin. 
John learned the lesson well from Christ about this. He, he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 6. No one who abides in him sin. So again, the contrast between one who practices sin and the other one. No one who abides in him or dwells, remains and stays. We've seen that in the first uh, couple chapters of John. First John, the epistle here. No one abides in him sins or continues to sin. The person who is in Christ, who abides in Christ, who remains in Christ, does not practice sin. Now, we know from the first chapter of John that a believer can sin and does sin. And he says, he's provided, if, if, you've, if you've sinned, you confess your sin, God is gracious, Jesus Christ is gracious, he, and he will forgive us and sin, our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says this, but the one who abides in him is not a practitioner of sin. However, no one who sins in this way, he's already talked about, practices, has seen God. You've, he's not been made manifest to you. He's not revealed himself. You've not seen him or neither do you know him. And the way that John keeps saying about knowing. You've not experienced the saving grace of Christ if you continue to practice sin. That is the modus operandi of your life. No one who abides in him sins. However, no one who sins has seen him at any time. What can we say about the follower of Jesus? How can we lay this out? The follower of Jesus, this one who dwells, who has an abiding relationship with Christ, does not continue in willful sin, defiance of God. Understand that you and I, if we have been saved by Christ, we will not long continue in willful sin and defiance of Christ. God will start to work in our lives. He will not let this go on. However, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if not, you don't have the abiding presence in, of you and him, this one willfully sins in defiance of God. Because this one hasn't seen God, doesn't know God. See, he's making his case for verse 10. He's getting us there by laying the groundwork. See where he is? Let's follow. Continue on. Verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Now, if you haven't been with us um, in the first part of 1 John, John is writing to a church uh, that has been affected by, uh, let's say, false teachers to come in and say, you know, Jesus wasn't really all the totally God. And then, so Jesus didn't really totally... Con- well, forgive your sins, but really it's more than that. It's like you can be a child of God and be uh, kind of a mystical spiritism. Uh, I'm kind of like this up here, this, and then you can do whatever. It makes no difference to your moral life and your body and you know, stuff like that. You can sin to whatever because your spirit is good, you know? And, and over and over you see this train of thought that John is combating from this. And he says, hey, little children. And when he says that, he's not speaking down to them. Okay, this is a term of endearment. It's like, I love you. Like he's already said in the chapter, beloved. Those who are beloved, I love them. He said, my dear ones, don't make sure that you are not deceived. In this, the one who practices the pattern of his life to continue in sin, uh, continue in righteousness, is righteous just as he is righteous. So the one who has come to Christ in the saving knowledge of Christ, who knows Jesus, the pattern of his life, the practice of his life, will be continued to practice righteousness. 
There will, yes, be an occasion when we sin, but that is not the pattern. The trajectory is not to sin. The trajectory is to keep is, is to come back to Christ for forgiveness and to continue to practice the things that are right in the moral law of God. Righteousness. Why? Because Christ is righteous. See, the one who has that, that abiding relationship with Jesus is not like it's just, okay, I've given you salvation and walked away. No. He's given us new life. Something amazing, radical happened in our hearts and lives. We have the nature of God, the nature of Christ in us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we desire to practice righteousness. Not so we can get a pat on the back, not because we can get something, you know, a gold star or more crowns, because we love Christ, because of the gratitude of what he's done for us. And so we practice because it becomes our nature. He's going to say this. Now, let's understand righteousness. Righteousness is the right standard of morality given by God. This standard is inherent. That's what he's saying in the last part of that verse. Inherent in God. He is righteous. And this righteousness is a characteristic of those who are God's. See his argument? Hey, there's, there's a difference. There's a delineation. There is something that is obvious between a child of God and one who is not a child of God. Verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. When he says, uses the word devil, he says one who's a slanderer. One who slanders the believer. Who even slanders God. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Okay? At the beginning of the fall of of mankind, but the fall of Satan, from his very beginning of this route, this route, route that he took, when he says, I will be like the Most High God, from that point, he's sinned from the beginning. He says, wait a second, you who are of the devil, you're a child of the devil, you practice sin. That's how you know. Because of who you are. So we could summarize this. The devil sinned from the beginning of his fall. And the practitioner of sin is of, born of the devil. But wait, that verse doesn't stop, does it? In verse 8, he who practices sin is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. He's already said about one purpose. What was that first purpose? Remember? Take away the sins. Secondly, destroy the works of the devil. This, the Son of God, Jesus. Now, it's interesting here, John, I won't go to all the theological levels of this, but John is saying this one who's appeared, who's, who's been manifest, had a beginning. No, he didn't have a beginning at, at birth. He existed long before. The devil, a created being, he sinned and then tries to corrupt as many people. God the Son, eternally, God the Son, this one, was manifest, what appeared to us in the world to destroy the works of the devil. What a, what a wonderful thing John is saying. What a wonderful thing that he is saying that in the hopelessness of the beginning of verse 8, okay, the one who practices sins of the devil, the devil is sin from the beginning, and that's pretty hopeless. If you're caught up in him, if you are of the devil, it doesn't seem like you have a way out. However, the Son of God... Jesus came for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. That release, that release from the chains of sin, that freedom from bondage. The devil desires to entrap and to enslave 
every human. Jesus came to free those entrapped in sin. There's a difference now. No one, verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin. He doesn't continue. But the, the one of the, who is born, who is of, he, he's setting this relationship of children. The one who is born of God does not continue to practice sin. Because God's seed abides in him. So because you are born of God. The influence and the very nature of God is placed within you. The communicable traits of God are given to you. His salvation has cleansed your heart, has set you free. And so you no longer practice, you no longer continue to practice that sin that you once did as a child of the devil. Because his sin abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. He cannot continually practice sin because he is born of God. And look at that beautiful relationship that that John writes of, of being a child of God. It's not that Jesus saves you and kind of turns you loose to whatever happens on the world. He says, you are my child. I've implanted within you my nature. And yes, it does still war against my fleshly nature, but the nature of Christ has been implanted in me and that I should not continue to sin, to practice that sin as the habit of my life because I've been born of God, because you have been born of God, if indeed you have. There's something changed about you. And here's how he sums it up. Verse 10, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. By this, what he've said before, here's what is obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Number one, anyone who does not continue to practice righteousness. The bent of their life is toward righteousness, not toward unrighteousness or open defiance, willful, shaking my fist in God. That one, if you practice you practice sin, you're not of God's. But the child of God, the child of God practices righteousness. And then he adds this, because this is a theme of John. There's also another evidence of being a child of God, loving other believers. Here's the idea of love your brother, not necessarily familiar in the the family union, but the, the family of Christ. He said, okay, I can tell if uh, a believer will continue to practice righteousness and he will love his brother. So what's obvious? What are the lessons that we learn? What are the lessons that we learn? The child of God, number one, looks at Jesus for freedom from sin. Don't get so distracted about who you are or what, whose child you are, that you forget why you are indeed a child of God and what God has done for you. Freedom from sin, freedom from the practice of sin, freedom from the sin that comes even in the life of a believer, that freedom is only through Jesus Christ. And we look to Jesus for that freedom. Secondly, the child of God practices the habit of their lives, the trajectory of, the trend line of their lives is to practice righteousness. 
And conversely, this one does not practice sin. That lawlessness, that open defiance of God, this one does not. The child of God does not practice this. And the child of God loves his fellow believers. See, there's a fundamental incompatibility with the mission of Christ, who came to seek and to save those which were lost, and to give us freedom. There's the incompatibility with sin and that mission. And if you and I are a child of God, we look to Jesus not only from freedom of sin at salvation, but freedom from sin in daily life. We rest in him. His nature is within us. We're a child of God. And so we have the power and strength to overcome by his grace. By his grace, we have the power and strength to overcome sin in our lives. Those habits and temptations that you war against. That you know that are destructive in your life and you try to fight them, but sometimes you don't always win. And the guilt of your own conscience and the guilt of, of the Holy Spirit's convicting comes to you as a child of God, and so you run to Christ for forgiveness. Because it's incompatible with the mission of Christ. He came to seek and save that which were lost, and we are supposed to be on Christ's mission with him. We also know, though, if we sit here and the bent of ourselves is, is an open defiance of God, we really don't care. There really is no reason for us to... I mean, what does it matter if I shake my fist in the face of God? Does, does it really matter? Because, I mean, not, that's... If open defiance and willful sinning doesn't bother us, then it should tell us that we are not a child of God, but instead a child of the devil. You know, we can fake righteousness for a time. You've never done that, have you? We can fake it for a time, but we can't continue to fake it. And sometimes we do. In our society... Our Western culture, maybe our Southern culture, for a while, we, we, we like to fake it. Man, we're great people, aren't we? We are really good. Aren't I good? We seek affirmation about how good we are. And inside we know that we are an open defiance to God. That we are a child of the devil. See, it's obvious now, he's, there's two purposes that John's writing this. He's writing this because he wants them to be able to, the readers to be able to, to identify who's a child of God and who's a child of the devil. Because you, you identify and you can start to discern what they're saying, whether it's true or not. But he also wants them to, and us, to, to check up on ourselves. Am I a child of righteousness or am I a child of unrighteousness? Here. I have a question for you this morning. In light of God's word today, what is the trend line of your life? What is the trend line of your life? And you'd say, Stacey, what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> some of us who may be believers, we struggle with sin. A friend of mine once wrote, the problem is sin, but sin, not sinning is not the solution. The solution is Christ. Some of us think as believers, when we read a passage like this, I need to stop sinning. 
Well, the solution is going to Christ, resting in him, seeing his mission, his work, receiving of his grace and mercy for forgiveness. But it could be our trend line is constantly not up toward Christ, but it is, it is going down and we don't really care. It's heading that way. And the seriousness of this passage is that if we are in open defiance that we're a child of the devil and there will be a reckoning one day. And there will be a time when Christ will divide those, even those who have said, Lord, Lord, didn't we know you? Didn't we do all these wonderful things? There will be a time when, when there's a separation of those. I don't know where your heart is today. That is something for you to determine. Many of us may have claimed that we are followers of Christ, and indeed many are. In that case, we need to think about how it is that I live. How, is, how it is that we live in practicing righteousness. And maybe we sit here today and there's some who say, you know, I, I, that's, righteousness isn't part of my life. Jesus is not part. And the invitation to you is that satisfaction that only can come from Jesus. It's the water of life that was sung about earlier that is totally quenching of our thirst. It's something that quenches more than any other thing. It's no more than, than extreme sports or a great food or great friends. It's, it's Jesus and who he is that has, that has the capacity to satisfy the hungering and the longing of the heart that does not know him. And he invites. He says, come unto me, all you, are, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So that yoke of sin that you've been, that burdensome yoke that you've been holding on to take my yoke upon you. Because my yoke is light. I have borne your sin. You have no longer to bear your sin. I have borne it. I will give you the rest that your soul longs for. This morning, for the believer, for the one who does not believe, it is our, it is our focus upon Christ for forgiveness of sin that we may have the joy of knowing Jesus. After all, this is what John is saying. There's joy in knowing him. Jesus is the answer to our sin. Jesus is the freedom that our lives hunger for and thirst for. What is the practice of your life? Because it is indeed obvious. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy, you've brought us here. Father, I do not know the contents of the heart today for those who who sit here, but I do know the power of the Holy Spirit must work mightily. My words will fall away. They will not remember them, but your word, I pray, will do a work to dig and to burrow down to the heart to make the changes that need to be changed. Lord, help us to be willing to change. Now, God, I pray that you would, by your grace, transform hearts and lives. For believers, 
that will be a pattern of righteousness, of, of right living to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. And for those who do not believe, for those who are without Christ, the freedom from sin to live into righteousness. Will you do a work today in us? It's in Christ in my prayer. Amen. Would you keep your head bowed and eyes closed?